Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Let me just share this. We'll, we'll pray in a moment and take our seat. But Sarah and I, my wife and I, she's at home this morning. We've got four children and that's why I travel. And uh, <laughs> joking, our eldest is seven. Our youngest is uh, 11 months. And uh, our eldest boy, his name is Hugo. Hugo means bright in mind and spirit. Isn't that the kind of name you give your child when you're naive and you've not had children before? <laughs> bright in mind and spirit. You know, our last child is called Olive. You know what that means? Peace. And so that kind of gives you a feel for our parenting journey. But in, um, in 2017, my wife and I clearly felt God speak to us about relocating to South Africa. And uh, I don't know if there's any South Africans in the room this morning, but most of us would understand. Most people think that's a one-way road from South Africa to Australia, and it doesn't go the other way. And uh, we clearly felt God speak to us. And yet in that journey, who knows, God speaks, but then you've got to walk it out in faith. And in that journey, we uh, had an event take place that really struck fear into our heart. And uh, two days later, I was sharing this story yesterday. Two days later, I woke up in the morning to a text from Pastor Corey. Who knows you don't want to wake up to text from Pastor Corey? (laughs) Because God gives him dreams. And uh, Corey didn't know where we were, what we were planning. And uh, this particular episode of fear was really around our family. And uh, Corey texts, I don't know if he even remembers it, but to say, hey, I don't don't know what's happening in your world right now. I don't know what season God's bringing you into, but I feel like God's gonna start to open up something overseas. And uh, he just wants you to know that your family is gonna be safe. And uh, who knows, sometimes God gives you that word to give you 5% more courage to do what he's called you to do. And so Pastor Corey, we, that's just one example of your input into our life, our lives, our church has been blessed. So one more time, can we honour and thank your pastors. Why don't you go ahead and grab your seat. Hey, uh, I'm not sure if you normally come to the 4pm service this afternoon, but uh, I'm particularly excited for our 4pm service this afternoon. In fact, I really feel that God has put a word on my heart for Numa Church uh, this afternoon. I'm breaking my own rule. I'm preaching a sermon I've never preached before tonight because I feel like God has given it to me for this church specifically. And so maybe you don't normally come out. I'd love for you to come out this afternoon at 4 p.m. I believe it's gonna speak to us collectively as a church. I believe it's gonna speak to you personally as well. And so why not come out this afternoon for that? Um, There's an old story about the former president, George H.W. Bush and his wife, Barbara. Uh, As the story goes, George and Barbara Bush were in the presidential limo driving back from an event and uh, they were driving on an out-of-the-way kind of back country road when their driver realised that they were low on gas and they pulled into a gas station for fuel. Well, the old service station owner couldn't believe his eyes when the presidential limo pulls into his service station. And so, of course, he comes out from behind the counter and looks at the car and as he's looking at the car the first lady puts her head out the window and then jumps out of the car and goes and gives the service station attendant a massive hug. Well, they start talking and laughing and catching up and and then she gets back into the presidential limo and says to President Bush, that's Harry, my old high school boyfriend. (laughs) Well, 
George, feeling quite self-assured at that moment, got a big grin on his face and he leaned back and he said to himself, so let me get this straight. If you had married him, you would be the wife of a gas station attendant, but instead you married me. And now you're the first lady of the United States of America. And uh, the first lady looked back at him and with a sparkle in her eye said, don't be stupid, honey. If I married him, he would be the president. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows it's a beautiful thing when you're sure of yourself, isn't it? It's a beautiful thing. I want to speak to you this morning uh, on the theme, the first question. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. The first question. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. You ready for the word this morning? It says this, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, if you're visiting church, the Son of Man was one of Jesus' favourite titles to use in reference to himself. So Jesus is asking them, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Let me just explain something. Bar is not an unfortunate middle name. Bar literally means son of. His natural earthly father was called Jonah. So he's saying, blessed are you, Simon, son of your earthly father, who was called Jonah. Uh, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. One of my favourite movies that I've watched in the last number of years is uh, a movie that wasn't really an action movie. Any action movie lovers here today? Anyone here like you just thought Top Gun was amazing? Couldn't let your wife watch it because how does Tom have abs like that when he's 84? But like... Top Gun, great action film. Anyone here, you're a comedy lover? Anyone here, you love a good comedy? A couple of people, you like the old stuff better than the new stuff? There's com com Anyone here, you're a rom-com lover and you're willing to admit it? A couple of people in the front row will pray later. Largely the 11 a.m. service of the rom-com lovers. And uh, anyone here, you like a good kind of horror film? Where are you, you sickos? No, 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 no horror film lovers. One of the movies that, that I really enjoyed, it was not a comedy, it was not an action, it wasn't really a, a sci-fi, wasn't a horror, it was nothing like that, it was quite plain really, probably pretty low budget. It was the movie Lion. I think we'll have a, an image of it on the screen. Anyone here, you watched the movie Lion? Oh, I loved that movie Lion. It's the true story based on the life of uh, a gentleman called Saru Brearley. Uh, he was born in India and when he was five years of age, he uh, became separated from his parents and ended up becoming a street kid in Calcutta. Well, he was rescued off the streets of Calcutta and placed into an orphanage uh, in Tasmania when he was adopted by Aussie parents. Well, 20 years later, Saru Brearley was living in Melbourne and he wanted to search for his home village. He wanted to, I guess, dive into his roots. And so it was about the time when Google Earth came out. Everyone remember when Google Earth came out? You could check your house and you're like, oh, it's really small. And uh, and so he had these brief kind of memories of his childhood and he could remember some scenes from his childhood. And so through Google Earth, night after night, week after week, month after month, he managed to locate where his home village was, where he grew up. And uh, eventually he finds it and he gets reunited with his mother. I think we've got a photo of the real event when he was reunited with it. Anyone else, you cried a little bit in this movie? Come on, I cried. There was mascara when I was crying. It was unbelievable. Uh, like... 
This is a film that seemed to resonate with the hearts and minds of people right around the world. And the truth is, while your story is probably not as dramatic as the story of Saru Brearley, I think that film resonated with our hearts because there is something in the human heart that wants to figure out exactly who it is that we are. Isn't it true that the question of identity is a question that many of us wrestle with? Black or white, male or female, rich or poor, all of us tend to have this internal wrestle as we try to figure out exactly who it is that we are. The intellectual giant Derek Zoolander in 2001 said, who am I? And many of us today wrestle with that same question. In fact, consciously or subconsciously, we try to answer that question of exactly who it is we are. I've noticed uh, just in my life, by watching the lives of others, by being in church leadership, I've noticed some different ways that some of us try to establish who it is that we are. Firstly, I've noticed that some of us try to establish our identity by looking at others. We look down the aisle in church, we look down the hallway at work, we look through our family and we, we wonder, am I as talented as that person? Am I as popular as that person? How do I look compared to that person? Do I have as much money as that person? Am I as intelligent as that person? Am I as good at sport as that person? Who knows, the problem with trying to create an identity based on who's in the room is that our identity will always rise and fall necessarily based on who walks into the room. And so we chain ourselves to either pride or despair based on who we happen to be around at any given point in time. I heard a tale a few years ago of two brothers. These two brothers were incredibly immoral in their lifestyle. They did every dirty, nasty, illegal thing that you could ever think of doing. I mean, these two brothers had a reputation. Well, one of the brothers all of a sudden died. And the surviving brother comes to the local town pastor and he says, listen, would you do my brother's funeral? We, we don't really go to church. We don't know many people in church, but it's gonna be a massive funeral. Would you do my brother's funeral? Well, the surviving brother says, well, uh, sorry, the pastor says, well, I don't know, you guys have kind of got a bit of a reputation and I don't know. And the surviving brother said, look, if you do my brother's funeral, I'll name you an, I'll give you an awful sum of money. He named the amount. And then he said, I've just got one request for you. When you're pronouncing my brother's eulogy, would you please refer to him as a saint? Well, the pastor thought about it. He said, uh, all right, I reckon I can do it. Well, the day of the funeral comes and the church is packed from the front to the back. Every seat is taken. All of the who's who of the city are at this funeral. And the pastor in the middle of his uh, eulogy begins to wax eloquent. He looks down at the open coffin and he says, the man that you see in the coffin today was a rotter. He did every filthy, nasty, terrible, wicked thing that you could ever think of doing. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. <laughs> And who knows, that's the problem with building our, our identity based on every other person. Who knows, many of us, we fall into this trap of trying to establish a sense of self based on how we compare with the people around about us. Who knows, God doesn't want us to live that way because if you and I are building an identity on comparison, it makes competitors out of the people that God called us to be friends with. It makes every interaction an arena upon which I need to either assert myself or, or who knows, God doesn't want you and I to live comparing ourselves with one another. There's gotta be a better way. Here's, here's another way. Some of us try to establish our identity by proving ourselves. We think if I can achieve a great deal, then I'll prove that I'm a big deal. Listen, pastors do this. 
Business people do this. Parents do this. We just do it vicariously through our kids. If we can achieve a great deal, then we will prove that we are somebody. But again, the problem with this is how much money, how much success, how much notoriety is enough to actually validate your sense of self. You know, Madonna is someone who people would look at and say, in every earthly category, she has achieved success. Sold, sold over 300 million albums. I can confidently let you know I have not bought one of those 300 million albums. But, but look at what Madonna said in an interview with Vanity Fair magazine. She said, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me and pushing me because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended and probably never will. I read that and thought, how sad. Here's somebody who everyone else is looking to thinking if I could just be like that and she's looking at it going, you know what? It's a treadmill of work where I just have to prove and prove and prove and prove. She's got everything that we should have and yet she still doesn't have a sense of identity. You know, uh, one of the most famous old movies is the movie Chariots of Fire. Anyone ever seen that movie? I reckon if anyone's seen it in Numa Church, it's the 9am service. Come on, anyone seen Chariots of Fire? Anyone get inspired to pull the joggers on and rub deep in? No, me neither. And uh, Chariots of Fire, of course, is uh, it's a true story about the 1924 Olympics. And uh, it really focuses the story around two athletes, uh, Harold Abrahams and Eric Liddell. Uh, Eric Liddell, quite famously, had a very strong faith in Jesus and famously he decided not to run in the 100 metre event, even though it was his strongest race, because the 100 metre event fell on the Lord's Day and he wanted to Sabbath and honour the Lord on that day. And uh, Eric Liddell was not a person of faith. And the movie lays bare the internal motivations of these two elite Athletes. In fact, Harold Abrahams, who was not a believer in Jesus, look at what he said. He, he said this in the movie. And now, in one hour's time, I will be out there again. I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor, four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I? How sad is that? You've got a man who is at the top of his game, competing in the Olympics, and he's doing what God has created him to do, but he's doing it to try to justify his existence and to prove that he is somebody worthwhile. Eric Liddell, on the other hand, he said this, I believe that God has made me for a purpose, but he has also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. When I run, I feel God's wrath, but, but he, he felt God's pleasure. Who knows, there's people who run businesses and the businesses are very successful and yet they're never able to really enjoy what God has gifted them to do because the business is not just about making a profit, it's about making a sense of identity for the CEO. There's other people who are in ministry and even though they're here to serve other people and to preach and to pray and to lead worship, internally there's this drive that it has to go well because if it doesn't go well, then who am I? There's parents who are raising kids and you've heard of soccer mums, soccer dads. I, I think in part, sometimes we, we try to live out, if this convicts you, then just roll with it. We, we try to live out and we think they have to succeed because if they don't succeed, then, then who am I? Who knows? It's possible that you can have two people running the same race both gifted, both talented, but running from very different motivations. You know, some of us, we we try to establish identity by comparison. Some of us try to do it by accomplishment. Thirdly, I think this is the most popular um, genre or or, or category in our generation. Some of us try to establish an identity by looking within ourselves. 
In fact, this is the biggest, I think, trap that our generation is falling for. People say, well, you have to find it within you. Have you ever heard people say things like this? Well, just, you've just got to follow your heart. You've just got to be true to yourself. And, and many of us today and many of the people that we work with, many people in our families, believe this to be conventional wisdom. And, and what's happened is this is actually the natural result of a culture that has lost its belief in the existence of God. You see, when you believe in Jesus, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, when you believe in God, it's more than just you adopt a religion, you actually adopt a worldview. Christianity is not just a private devotional life, rather it's a way in which you and I can view the world. And so what's happened in our culture is our culture has been told for a long time, in fact, long enough and loud enough that there is no God. And if you tell people long enough and loud enough that there is no God, what are people supposed to do? You see, you and I have to define ourselves in relation to something. And so if you tell a whole community of people that there is no objective external God out there by which we can define ourselves, well, if I can't be true to Him, it makes sense that I would be true to myself. If there is no God who I should follow, then it makes sense that I should just follow myself. If I can't ask the question, how does God feel about who I am? Who knows, we're gonna have a culture that all we're left with is to ask, well, how do I feel about who I am? Who knows, in erasing God, society has also erased our own point of reference about who you and I really are. If there is no God to whom we should be true, then we are just left to be true to ourselves. But who knows, the problem is, Feelings are not always a reliable guide to reality. Who knows, sometimes our feelings are completely detached from reality. For instance, I believe that Essendon are a good chance to win a premiership in 2023, entirely detached from reality. (laughs) Who knows, our feelings sometimes can be a true indicator of reality, but if you were to talk to anyone who's come through the other side of anxiety or depression or an eating disorder, they could tell you that feelings are actually able to lead us astray and take us a long way from what's true. So so imagine the chaos that ensues when you have a generation and a culture of people who are defining themselves by their feelings. Do you catch what I'm saying this morning? I was reading in the paper recently an article which actually hails from um, Melbourne uh, on the 21st of August in the Daily Mail. And I think we might have the article on screen It might come up if we got this article. Do we have an article on the way? May or may not be there. Let me me tell you the essence of the article. Uh, The article is about a Melbourne private school, here we go, Melbourne private school teenager who identifies as a cat as part of a furry trend. Uh, A teenage girl now reportedly identifies as a cat with the Melbourne private school where she attends supporting her animal behaviour. The year eight student does not speak during school hours, according to the report in the Herald Sun, despite being described as phenomenally bright. A parent reportedly told the paper that the school let the girl behave like a cat as long as it did not distract her or other students. I was actually preaching this um, message in South Africa and someone said, no, there's a whole furry trend in Johannesburg. And uh, at least in Africa, they're like big cats, lions and stuff. But but anyway... um, (laughs) 
She said, no one seems to have a protocol for students identifying as animals, but the approach has been that if it doesn't disrupt the school, everyone is being supportive, a source close to the family told the newspaper. I read that and, and, and I actually felt incredibly sad for that kid. Because here we've got a kid who's either in a place of terrible confusion or is desperately crying for attention. But either way, you have to ask, how did we end up here as a society? I mean, in so many ways, we have learnt to master science and technology and information. But the one thing we've not yet, uh, not yet learnt to master is ourselves. And so we have to ask, what if the Bible had something to say? And I'm so glad you don't even need to turn too far in the Bible. In fact, the first book, the first chapter, the first page says this, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Who knows, in the midst of a culture that is confused and has got its feet firmly planted in midair, who knows the church of Jesus has something to say. Because when it comes to the question of identity, the Bible doesn't say that we find our identity by looking down the aisle in comparison. We don't find our identity by looking at our resume to see what we've accomplished. We don't find our identity by looking within to see how we feel on any particular day. Rather, you and I were created to find our identity by looking up to God and seeing ourselves as made in the image of God Himself. Who knows uh, when a parent, when a couple has um, a a newborn baby, have you noticed that everyone tries to figure out who does the baby look like? It's such a silly exercise. It's like they don't look like anything yet. They they don't look like mum. Everyone's like, oh, looks like mum, looks like dad. I remember when we were about to have Hugo, we had to have a 37-week scan. And uh, if you're getting a 37-week scan, they can give you a pretty in-detail photo at that point. And so um, we went in, they put the invisible jelly on Sarah's stomach and then gave us a photo and we we came out and we couldn't wait to see what the baby looked like. So we ripped open the envelope and we pulled the scan out and uh, I kid you not, Sarah looks at the the photo and she goes, oh, he's got your nose. I'm like, what's wrong with my nose? Then she goes, oh, but it's all right, he's got my lips. I'm like, what's wrong with my lips? Who knows, when it comes to who do you look like, There is a natural answer and there is a transcendent higher answer. When it comes to who your identity is and who you look like, there is a biological response to that. You look a bit like your mum and probably a bit like your dad, but who knows, there is a second and a higher answer. You and I are not just biological creatures, we are creatures made in the image and the likeness of God. That's why Jesus says to Simon, listen, you are Simon Bar-Jonah. There is a natural side to who you are. You are the son of Jonah and there's a little bit of Jonah and your natural heritage in you. But I want to tell you, you have a father in heaven who can give you a revelation of who you really are. I want to tell someone this morning that you are not just the sum total of your biology. You are not just more fruit from the family tree. No, when you got born again by the Spirit of God, you were born again and now you're part of the family of faith. You are made in the image and the likeness of God. God, who knows, there is no more firm foundation to build your identity upon than that. Do you catch what I'm saying today? 
And so I believe it's no coincidence that right after modern Western culture had a crisis of faith, the next crisis that was always gonna come down the line was a crisis in identity. Because we are made in the image of God and we are created to find our identity in God. But in erasing God, we've inadvertently erased ourselves. And so who knows, we as the church, our message is not one of self-esteem and not one of if you just look in the mirror long enough and hard enough, then you can convince yourself that you're special enough. Who knows, our message has to be to lift the focus of Melbourne City onto the eyes, onto the nature and the character of a God in whose image we are made. This is where faith in Jesus makes a huge difference to your mental health. Because the Bible says this, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Who knows, if I build my identity based on you, if I build my identity based on how I'm doing at work, if I build my identity based on last month's financial results, my identity, my confidence, my sense of faith is gonna rise and fall like a yo-yo. But if I build my identity on the person and the work of Jesus Christ, who knows, now I've got a strong foundation upon which to build. John Kelvin said this, man, never attains to true self-knowledge until he has previously contemplated the face of God and come down after such contemplation to look into himself. Who knows, we have a generation that is looking within themselves and yet what we need to do is help a generation to look beyond themselves to the image of God. And so Jesus is walking into Caesarea Philippi with his disciples and he wants to have a conversation about identity. It's a very good conversation. It's a conversation a lot of people are having today. And Jesus says to Peter, well, notice what Jesus doesn't say to Peter. Jesus doesn't say to Peter, so Peter, who do you feel like you are? No, deep down on the inside, Peter, who do you really feel like you are? No, 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 Jesus doesn't do that. Why? Because Jesus knows the key to understanding who Peter is, is for Peter to understand who Jesus is. And so Jesus starts a conversation about identity, not about Peter. That's why don't be shocked when you come into church and it's not all about you. Don't be shocked when you read the Bible and it's not all about you. Why? It's because God loves you enough to deliver us from ourselves. One of the greatest things that the gospel gives us is the ability to just forget ourselves for long enough to be all caught up in the wonder and the glory of God so we can actually find ourselves. And so Jesus says to Peter, not Peter, who do you think you are? Jesus says, let's talk about me. Who knows, Jesus is the only guy in all of history who can talk about himself, but it not be selfish. And so Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And the Bible says that Peter got the answer, not by getting onto Google, but Peter got the answer by getting a download, a revelation from heaven. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he nailed it. You remember in primary school that one time you nailed it and you look around at all of your lesser peers Like, that's right, people, that's right, I got it. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And notice the moment that Peter gets a revelation, I know who you are, Jesus. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In the very next breath, Jesus turns around and says, now that you understand that, let me tell you who you are. You are no longer Simon, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. I wanna encourage somebody today, the key to knowing who you are is to come to know who He is. Because when you know who He is, who you are will take care of itself. And that's why I say, 
the first question because the question that many of us are wrestling with is, who am I? And the question of who am I is a very good question. It's a very important question, but I wanna tell someone today, it's the second question because if you can first answer the question, who is Jesus, then who knows the other question of identity will start to take care of itself. Uh, I actually um, got this revelation, this thought after church one Sunday and uh, I was just hanging out in the foyer of our church and I was talking to a, a middle-aged guy called Oscar and I said, hey, nice to meet you, Oscar. And uh, I said, how did you end up at church? He said, well, uh, someone invited me to Alpha. And so I started coming to Alpha because I had questions about faith and I said, how have you found it? Have you, have you come to learn more about God? And, and he goes, yeah, yeah, I've come to know who Jesus is. And then he said this line, the first person Jesus introduced me to is myself. So how amazing is that? He's a middle-aged guy, successful in every category, and yet still hadn't found himself. But when he met Jesus, the first person Jesus introduced him to was himself. And so maybe, just maybe, if you and I could forget ourselves for long enough to focus on who God is, it would do our own identity wonders. Let me, let me show you how this works. And, and you, many of us would know this, but, but let me show you how this works. Let's think about, well, who is God? What is the nature and the character of God? Well, the Bible says that, firstly, the Bible says that God is our creator. Yeah. And, and you might say, well, what, what difference does that make in my life? That's just a random piece of doctrine that God is a creator. No, 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 who knows? That's got implications for you and I. If God is our creator, then you and I are His creation. And if we are God's creation, then you and I aren't rubbish. We're not junk. We don't have to prove ourselves. We have value by virtue of the fact you and I bear the divine signature on our own soul. I want to tell you, that's why David said that God knit me together in my mother's womb and my soul knows it very well. In other words, if you can know who He is, then you come to understand who you are. The Bible says that God is eternal. What difference does that make? That's just a random piece of knowledge in a Bible college. No, 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 that means something for your life and mine. That means that if God is eternal, that you existed in the mind of God long before your father got a twinkle in his eye. You existed, it doesn't matter what the circumstances were that brought you into this world, you existed in the, the Bible says that He chose you and He appointed you even before the foundation of the world. Who knows, when you know that God is eternal, it makes a difference to understanding who you are. The Bible says that He is our Father. You know, the only identity marker that you will never earn in your life is the identity marker of son or daughter. If you become the team captain, you earn that. If you become the school captain, you earn that. If you become the CEO, you earn that. But no one can ever earn the title of son or daughter. It's an identity that is given. So who knows, when we come into the house of God, we don't have to strive to be His son. We don't have to strive and manoeuvre and manipulate to be a daughter of God. It's a gift given to us. The Bible says that He is holy. Everyone say holy. holy. What does that mean? Genuinely asking, I've got no idea. What does, it mean to, what does it mean to say that God is holy? I used to think it just meant that God is boring. Like what does it mean to say that God is holy? To be holy means to be sacred and to be yeah. set apart. And the Bible teaches us that because God is holy, whatever God touches becomes holy. And so when God put His hand upon your life and mine, you and I were no longer common or run of the mill 
or ordinary. Now we are set apart from our sin. We are, anyone today, you're grateful that you're set apart from your past. You're set apart from your sin. You are wholly set apart for the purposes of God. The Bible says that He is our provider. And if He is our provider, I don't need to live with anxiety. I can go through good seasons and rough seasons, but my identity stays secure. I can be driving a Maserati or a Hyundai i20. Ooh, in Jesus' name. And yet I can weather all of it. Why? Because I know who He is and that helps me to understand who I am. The Bible says that He is our Redeemer. What does that mean? What does it mean to say that God is a Redeemer? It's not just a meaningless point of theology. Redemption is a marketplace term. It literally means to buy something back. And some people here today, you feel like you're worthless. You feel like you're junk. You feel like because you've had a bad season or you've failed or dropped the ball that you're really not worth anything. And you look yourself in the mirror and try to drum up a sense of confidence. Listen, if He is my Redeemer, then that must mean that He has bought me with a price. And the Bible says that He purchased our lives with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Can you see this morning, church, how self-esteem is a cheap counterfeit for godly confidence? The best that the world can give you is self-esteem. The best that the world can tell you is look in the mirror and say, you're awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome. You're fantastic, you're fantastic, fantastic. You're special, you're special. And we've baptised this and Christianized it. You're a prince, you're a prince, you're a princess. I mean, prince, 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 prince. And we've tried to look, who knows? You and I will fall into a trap of insecurity and comparison if we keep looking at ourselves. We need to forget ourselves for long enough to look up to who He is. And when we see who He is, we understand who we are. Does this help anyone today? Let me close with this as the band come back. What does this mean practically? Well, when my identity is established in God, number one, I can celebrate others. I can celebrate others. You know, the Bible says, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. I find half of that really easy. I can weep with you when you weep, but when you get that pay rise, when you get that promotion, when you get to lead out the song in the worship set, and I really feel like I was gifted and called for it, it's hard to rejoice. But who knows, when I've got a sense of identity, me getting that position or not getting that position, you getting that position or not getting that position doesn't change anything for me. And so who knows now, I'm able to celebrate the success of others because I'm not defining myself in relation to you, I'm defining myself in relation to God. Can you imagine that kind of community in the city of Melbourne where people are secure enough to just genuinely cheer one another on? Where does that identity come from? By looking to Him instead of to ourselves. Number two, I can enjoy what I do. You know, so many people are gifted at what they do, but they don't enjoy what they do. Because they need what they do to prop up their sense of self. They're not Eric Liddell, they're Harold Abrahams. And some of us here today know what this is because you need the business to turn over a certain amount. You need the ministry to grow to a certain number. You need the kids to get particular grades in school because you can't fathom who you would be if you don't hit those goals. What a horrible way to live. Hey, you don't have to justify yourself. You don't have to prove yourself. I even believe this morning that the Holy Spirit wants to come and help some people in your soul have a divine exhale and relax. And maybe in 2023, for the first time, you could enjoy what God has gifted you to do. Why? Because you're not doing it for you. You're doing it for others. Number three is this, I can ride out the seasons. Who knows, in some seasons you're winning. Other seasons you're not. 
that's fine. I'm an Essendon fan. As I said, I've learned that. Corey and I console each other regularly. None of us win in every season. And, and, and if, if my identity is shackled to whether I'm being successful or not, well, I've just shackled my whole sense of self to a roller coaster because no one's that good that they win every season. And so for so many of us, the, the floor falls out from under our identity when we're not winning. What if instead we nailed our identity to the cross of Jesus Christ, where I realise, you know what, whether I'm winning or losing, I know exactly who I am because the nature of God hasn't changed and I'm made in His image. And because of that, I can ride out the season. The numbers might be down, Things might not be working. The tide might have gone out, but I can lift my hands and worship all the same. I know who I am. I can still bless others. I don't fall in a heap. Why? Because I've answered the first question and the first question helped me to understand the second question. The last thought is this. If I know who I am, I can assess my feelings by a higher reality. And this is what our generation desperately needs. We have told a generation that there is no higher reality. And so they've got nothing to assess their feelings by. Come on, you and I understand that there is a God. He is there. And because of who God is and because of what God has done, when feelings come, come on, there'll be people in church this morning and dark feelings of depression or anxiety or on the flip side, puffed up feelings of pride and ego can come as well. And when feelings come, I have an objective reality by which I can assess my feelings and discard them as false or embrace them as truth. Paul said this, he said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.